Welcome back to the podcast for Psych 1A with your instructor, Professor Brittany Rattiani. Today, we're going to be jumping into Chapter 2, which is the Biological Perspective. This chapter is a bit challenging. It's a little bit dense. And the way that the textbook authors have written this chapter, it's a bit overstuffed. There's a lot of information in this chapter, more than you really need at the 1A level. So as you're reading through the textbook, you might start to feel overwhelmed. That's okay. Don't panic. You're going to want to listen to these recordings maybe a couple of times. You're going to want to look at the slides that are on Canvas. I do have images in there that will help you understand these parts of the brain. That's what we're looking at in this chapter is the brain as an organ itself. So the different lobes of the brain, the anatomy of a neuron, synapses, neurotransmitters, understanding this lump of gray goop and mass that we have sitting in our skulls and how it works, how it keeps us functioning as human beings. So this chapter, you again, you may want to listen to this a couple of times. You may want to go through the slides a couple of times to see what you really need to know. And I would really advise if you're someone who typically is going for a walk or driving as you're listening to this podcast, that's okay, but do give it a listen later when you can sit down with the pictures and the diagrams in front of you so that you can really get all the information that you need to have. For today's mindful moment, we are going to really slow ourselves down. You might want to close your computer so you can't see the screen or flip your phone over so the screen is not bothering you. Try to remove distraction as much as possible. And take a moment, maybe you want to close your eyes to notice your body's natural rhythms. Notice if your heart rate is fast or slow. Notice if the muscles in your body are tense or relaxed. Take a moment to notice if your thoughts are racing or if they're slow. Now place one hand over your heart and one hand over your stomach and take three deep cleansing breaths. Letting your stomach inflate with air and exhaling slowly through your mouth. As you complete your deep cleansing breaths, take a moment for some gratitude. Maybe it's gratitude to yourself for listening into today's podcast, for prioritizing your education. Maybe it's gratitude for your body for hanging in there during a difficult time. Maybe it's gratitude for another person or the universe, for a pet, a plant favorite food. Whatever it may be, identify something that you are grateful for. And as you're ready, come back into whatever physical space you're in so we can jump into chapter two.
first thing we need to do here in chapter two is define some terms as we're getting started. The first definition is the nervous system. The nervous system is an extensive network of specialized cells that carries information to and from all parts of the body. Our next term is neuroscience. This is a branch of science that deals with the structure and function of neurons, nerves, and other nervous tissue. Our third definition today is biological psychology. This is a branch of neuroscience that focuses on biological bases of psychological processes, behavior, and learning. A neuron is a basic cell that makes up the nervous system. It receives and sends messages within the nervous system. Dendrites are branch-like structures of a neuron that receive messages from the other neurons. The soma is the cell body. It maintains the life of the cell. Soma is the Greek word for body. So throughout the biological perspective chapter, you'll see the word soma embedded into other words. And that will give you a clue that we're talking about the body of something. An axon is a tube-like structure of a neuron that carries the neural messages from the cell body to the axon terminals for communication with other cells. Axon terminals are enlarged ends of an axonal branch of the neuron, specialized for communication between cells. And myelin is a fatty substance that coats the axons of neurons to insulate, protect, and speed up the neural impulse. Myelin is generated by oligodendrocytes and Schwann cells. These are both types of glial cells. Think of myelin as like if you're playing a racing game, like if you've ever played Mario Kart before, and you know when you hit those little speed strips, how it suddenly boosts up your little car. Myelin is like those little speed strips. So it's like those uh, axons of the neurons are covered in little speed strips of myelin. So it causes those neural impulses, those electric messages to travel very quickly down the myelin sheath. If someone does not have enough myelin or they are hypomyelinated, undermyelinated, then those messages are going to travel very slowly. That person may have a slower mental processing speed. At this point in time, it is very helpful to look at the slides or in your textbook at the image of a structure of a neuron. It looks like this kind of crazy alien thing or maybe like something you pulled out of the shower drain. Uh, but you'll see here in the structure of the neuron image where all of these items are and how they're all connected. Even when a neuron is resting, it is electrically charged. The brain is an electric organ. Think of it like a light switch, like electricity. It's exactly the same type of electricity. It's not a special brain electricity. The brain is an electric organ. So a resting neuron is electrically charged. Positive and negative ions, these are charged particles, are both inside and outside of the cell. The charge inside of the cell is mostly negative, and the charge outside of the cell is mostly positive. Diffusion is the process of these ions moving from areas of high concentration 
to areas of low concentration and electrostatic pressure. This is the relative balance of electrical charges when ions are at rest. The action potential is the release of a neural impulse. And the resting potential is the state of a neuron when it's not firing a neural impulse. To sum it up, the cell is stimulated, the first ion channel opens, electrical charge at that ion channel is then reversed. So the next channel opens up and that charge is reversed. Meanwhile, the first channel has closed and the charge is returning to baseline. This is the action potential. It's the sequence of ion channels opening all the way down the length of a cell's axon. It's this process of doors opening and closing, allowing that message to travel all the way down the axon and jump to the next neuron. There's a great video that we have on our Canvas page that helps illustrate this point. It's also important to know that this is an all or nothing process. Once it starts, it cannot be stopped. When we're talking about these neural impulses, the action control, this is an electric system within the body. The voltage is graphed at a given axonal node over two to three milliseconds. These are thousands of a second. From an initial resting state, enough stimulation is received that the threshold of excitation is reached and an action potential is triggered. This is where that all or nothing process begins. Enough stimulation has to happen in the very beginning in order for that first door to open. If there's not enough of that voltage, not enough stimulation for that first door to open, then the process doesn't happen at all. The resulting rapid depolarization, repolarization, brief hyperpolarization, and return to resting potential coincide the, with movement of sodium and potassium ions across the cell membrane. So this is a very rapid and rather complicated process. We don't need to get too bogged down in all of the details of how exactly this process works. We just want to be aware of the general way in which this action potential process happens. In the nervous system, a synapse is a structure that permits a neuron or nerve cell to pass an electrical or chemical signal to another neuron or to the target effector cell. We'll learn a little bit more about effector cells later in this chapter. For now, let's focus on the synapse. A synapse looks a bit like a bulb on an end of a stick. If you've ever really looked at a flower before, or especially a lily, um, or if you've seen pictures of this, that part in the middle that has all the pollen in it, the little stick with like a nub on the end, that's what a synapse looks like. There are also, of course, pictures of this in your textbook, in the slides. You can Google it and find some. But imagine that two of those bulbs, those little nubs on the end, are facing each other. Those are the axon terminals. Those little bulbs are like the axon terminals. So imagining those two bulbs that are facing each other, one is our presynaptic neuron and the other is our postsynaptic neuron. And the little space in between those nubs is the synapse or the synaptic gap. 
So what happens is this action potential, this electrical message travels down the axon, reaches the axon terminal, that little nub at the end of the stick, and it has to jump across the synaptic gap and land on the postsynaptic neuron. There's little receptor sites waiting on that postsynaptic neuron to receive that message. The nerve impulse reaches the axon terminal, which triggers the release of neurotransmitters from the synaptic vesicles. This is all in the presynaptic neuron. Then, the molecules of the neurotransmitter cross the synaptic gap to fit into the receptor sites that fit the shape of that molecule in the postsynaptic neuron. This opens the ion channel in the postsynaptic neuron, allowing sodium ions to rush in. So this process keeps continuing. Think of it as if you have a bunch of dominoes that are all stacked up. When you push that first domino, it triggers this effect where all the dominoes knock each other down in sequence. An action potential is much the same way. As we said earlier, once the process starts, it cannot be stopped. However, it also has to be executed perfectly. If any part of this system doesn't work correctly, then the whole system will break down, will be flawed. There'll be something that's not quite right. So let's spend some time now talking about those neurotransmitters that are crossing that synaptic gap and fitting neatly into their specific receptor sites. One of the major players is acetylcholine. The function of acetylcholine is excitatory or inhibitory. Those terms excitatory or inhibitory, think of excitatory as being stimulated and inhibitory as being calmed down or being quieted, soothed. So acetylcholine can be either of these, excitatory or inhibitory. It's involved in arousal, that would be the excitatory part, attention, memory, and it controls muscle contractions. The second neurotransmitter of note is norepinephrine. It's mainly excitatory, involved in arousal and in your mood. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter you may have heard of before. It is excitatory or inhibitory, and it's involved in control of movement as well as sensations of pleasure. Dopamine is often brought up when we're talking about the reward system of the brain or when we're talking about happiness, that if you're feeling kind of sad or if you're kind of in a slump in life, then you may need to increase your dopamine. Another neurotransmitter that you've probably heard of in similar ways is serotonin. Serotonin is also either excitatory or inhibitory. It's involved with sleep, mood, anxiety, and appetite. So this neurotransmitter is doing a lot of work. It's involved in some pretty big key areas of our functioning. So when our serotonin levels are off, it can be a very invasive thing. It's something that can really mess up your life, uh, to put it kind of bluntly. Um, Serotonin is probably one of the most well-known neurotransmitters. This one is excitatory or inhibitory. It's involved in our sleep, our mood, anxiety, and our appetite. Those are some pretty big areas of our life. So if our serotonin levels are off, we're going to notice it and we might be really impacted by it. And this is part of the reason why serotonin is such a well-known neurotransmitter. 
When we're feeling depressed or anxious, oftentimes our serotonin levels are looked at and evaluated. Glutamate is another big player in the neurotransmitter game. This is a major excitatory neurotransmitter. It's involved in learning, memory formation, nervous system development, and synaptic plasticity. And finally, a neurotransmitter we've all probably heard of when talking about exercise is endorphins. These are inhibitory neural regulators. They're involved in pain relief. So when you hear people talking about a runner's high, this is what they're talking about. Your body gets to a certain point where it starts releasing endorphins and you no longer feel the sensation of pain. Even if you've been running miles and miles and miles, the endorphins kick in and they reduce the sensation of pain so you can keep going. This is also true if you've ever experienced something traumatic, like a traumatic injury to your body. Let's say you were in a car accident and you didn't notice that your leg was broken. That's because endorphins and adrenaline were at play and they were helping reduce the sensation of pain because your brain and body were in survival mode. So your brain and your body needed to focus on making sure that you were going to stay alive regardless of what was going on with your leg. So endorphins kicked in, masked the sensation of pain from your leg, allowing you to move through the process of figuring out and assessing what just happened. Am I okay? And once your brain realized, oh, I am okay, this is not a great situation, but we're going to survive, we're going to be okay, that's when the endorphins wear off a little bit and you go, oh my gosh, my leg is broken. How did I not notice that before? A key component of neurotransmitters and understanding how the brain functions is understanding reuptake. This is so important because it impacts our mood, it impacts our body's ability to function, And it also is largely how we treat some disorders like depression, especially, is by looking at the reuptake process. So we're cleaning up the synapse with the reuptake process. The neurotransmitters have to get out of the way of the receptor sites before the next stimulation can occur. Some of these just drift away through the process of diffusion, but most will end up back in the presynaptic neuron to be repackaged into the synaptic vesicles in a process called reuptake. That way, the synapse can be cleared out for the next release of neurotransmitters. So if the receptor sites are damaged or blocked, this whole process is interrupted. It's messed up. It's not going to work properly. One of the primary ways that receptor sites are blocked or damaged is through drug use, especially drugs like cocaine. So each receptor site, as you'll remember, is specifically designed for each neurotransmitter. They're a custom fit. However, there are some synthetic drugs like cocaine that mimic those shapes pretty closely, but not exactly. It's like you're trying to fit a rectangle into a square. You're trying to shove that rectangle into the little space that's designed for a square. The rectangle is then going to get damaged because it's not going to fit. And similarly, that little square space is also going to get beat up and damaged as you're trying to shove this rectangle into it. Cocaine enters the receptor sites and it damages the receptor site because it's not designed to be there. It's not really made for that site. So it damages the site and it can also block the site so that the appropriate neurotransmitter that you're naturally producing is not able to bind to its receptor site. 
So let's connect the reuptake process to treating depression with using SSRIs. These are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So a reuptake inhibitor is going to slow down or prevent the reuptake process from happening. This allows for more of that neurotransmitter to exist in the synaptic gap, which is also sometimes referred to as the synaptic cleft. When there's more of those neurotransmitters in the synaptic gap, then they have the ability to bind to the receptor sites instead of being gobbled up into the reuptake pump. This brings us to the end of this section for chapter two. This is the more challenging, I think, of the two sections that we cover in this chapter. So please do take the time to go back and listen to this again. Check out the videos that I have on Canvas. Make sure you check out the slides and do read the textbook. Uh, You know, you spent the time and money to get the book. You might as well use it, right? So we will continue chapter two with our discussion on the nervous system in our next episode.